0: Hello and welcome to my new podcast, Chats with Chapter One. Brought to you by Chapter One Consultancy and your host, it's me, Tommy McNee. I have been a big podcast listener for many years now, on my daily walks and commutes around town. There's only so much Nick Grimshaw I can take. I've always thought about doing my own podcast, although procrastination seemed to win. During lockdown, I finally won the battle with my mind and found the time to rewrite my life. Chapter by chapter, this is chapter 1, the podcast. You will find a new episode every week, so please like, rate, subscribe and leave a review. I should warn you, if you don't leave 5 stars, then I have a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you leave me five stars now, that will be the end of it. Now, let's dive into the podcast. But how are you? Oh, very well, thanks. How are you?
1: Yeah, not too bad. This this will be, be late at night for you with your 5am rises.
0: Yes, well, it's almost bedtime.
1: <laughs> I'm the same. I'm, I'm I'm an early bed, early rise person as well. I, that's when I'm the most productive by an absolute mile.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I I used to be a little bit of an idol um, going back a little bit time, but then I was finding my kind of 3pm, you know, I, I was so lethargic. I was, you know, double dunking the espressos, you know, just to get through the last couple of hours of work.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and that then leads on to poorer sleep and leads on to being more tired the next day. So it's a vicious circle when you get involved in that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I know you're an extremely busy man. I think you're doing great and big things. So I was very grateful, you know, when you came back to me and said, no, let's 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 go ahead and get it sorted." No, I'm I'm happy to
1: get involved, Tommy. I'm, I'm always happy to jump on a podcast, uh, chat to somebody, because ultimately, uh, we all want to put good information out there. And if I can if I can help doing that through your podcast, then that's fantastic.
0: Absolutely. So just to get us started, um, I have done a little bit of, of research back to your very first Instagram post and through your LinkedIn. But for those of you who don't know who you are, can you just tell everybody who you are, what you do and what you're about?
1: Yeah, of course. So my name is Colin Campbell. I'm a 27-year-old from Bears Den just outside Glasgow. have lived here all, all my life and have always been into sports and fitness and as i got older that moved away from rugby which was my main sport growing up into the gym and a more bodybuilding style of training that didn't happen that quickly most of my initial time training was strength and conditioning for rugby to try and get bigger stronger more physical so i could compete within my age group with the aspiration to then move up to the to, to the men's team at my local club and As that progressed, I fell more and more in love with the process of bettering my body, improving my performance in the gym, and I picked up a number of niggling shoulder injuries around 18, 19, so when I made that transition from junior or age group rugby into men's senior rugby, I was picking up more and more injuries with my shoulder. Some of that was actually caused by imbalances I developed within the gym, having too strong a chest versus too weak (laughs) a back, and... (laughs) That was a little bit unfortunate, but I, in the time I was rehabbing away from actually playing rugby, it started to become quite queer, quite quickly that I was I preferred the gym now to actually playing rugby, and if we fast forward a couple of years from there, that would have been first second year at university. After I left university, I went into a sales role, and I'm sure we'll touch on that as we go through the podcast in the insurance industry. And alongside that, I was so focused on my fitness and my health and my aesthetics in terms of how I looked with my fitness. Mm -hmm. And it probably would have been early 2017 where you mentioned my Instagram. That was where I started posting on social media about what I was up to. I had a personal Instagram before that. Um, and I still have it. It's just separate from 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 the one that we're going to speak about. And I was posting little bits of fitness stuff on there in terms of my physique, me on holiday, maybe the odd time I was in the gym, and people were asking me, oh, "How how have you got in such good shape?" Like I was never a I was never somebody that was ripped or muscular when I was a kid. I was always just fairly skinny, fairly fairly standard, not massively athletic, quite a good runner, but not a, a big, strong guy. So that was where the social media started in 2017. And from there, it's grown arms and legs, um, Instagram mostly, but now with the podcast since March, where I've been putting out content alongside um, the Instagram, where I'm having longer form conversations like this one, Tommy. And that's been massively rewarding. So yeah, posting into the gym and fitness for such a long time, probably lifting weights for 11 years now, posting on social media and sharing my journey and what I'm doing and how that can maybe help others for about three and a half, four years.
0: Fantastic. So would, would you say that you're an influencer uh, with the whole influencer marketing category, the Kardashians being at the very top, would you class yourself as an influencer? Would you class yourself as an educator? Or do you think that you sit somewhere in the middle with all of that? That's a great question, Tommy. And for a
1: long time, I cringe at the term influencer because of some of the negative connotations that are associated with that. For example, the Kardashians or people like Gemma Collins from The Only Way is Essex who promotes anything and everything that she's paid to promote. Yes. For myself, based on the account size that I've got now, of about, about 14,000 people following the page. I am technically a micro-influencer. That's the term that would be appropriate for my account, and that's what businesses that want to work with me and want me to share their products or services on my page. That's what they would call me. However, from my perspective, I've kind of looked at myself as a what I would call a content creator. And maybe that educated term is 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 one that would sit better with me because although I appreciate I probably do have some level of influence now in Steer in terms of product recommendations and people reading books that I recommend even, which is which is great. And using the same products that I use for my fitness and my supplements my food that's fantastic but the term influencer i think is almost a dirty term but we can try and reclaim it with hopefully people like myself and other and other people in the space who are who who are not that kind of money grabbing uh will will will, will do whatever for 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 100 pounds that's that's not that's not my style at all so i'm not sure about the term but I, i guess there is a element of influence that comes from my account and the consistency
0: and the message that I put out on there. Yeah, I I agree. And I think the message is a very good one. You know, if like we're talking about Gemma Collins, um, Percy, the only way is Essex, Made in Chelsea, all these people who will take £10,000 to promote skinny jabs or, you know, the latest fat loss pill. Whereas your message is consistency, good nutrition, lifestyle, you know, early to bed, sleep, self-development. And I would be happy to admit that, I've been influenced to a degree uh, since finding your content on, you know, just how to go about structuring my life to be that little bit better. I also have about 48 cans of Monster Zero on a great deal (laughs) that you kindly passed on. And so I would call it influence, but I I completely get what you're saying. I have been educated by some of your content and the influencer dirt that comes with it, with the whole Z-list celebrities influencing is perhaps a dirty term, but the influence that you have in a positive way, I think is fantastic. That
1: means a tremendous amount, Tommy. And and, and ultimately, you are my target audience and target people who, they work work a busy job, they're in a career they care about, they have a life outside of the gym, but they still have really high aspirations for how they want to look, perform and feel, as well as in their work they want to progress they want to make more money they want to make more impact they want to provide for their families they want to own nice houses nice things they want to be able to support charities they care about all these different things i hope come across in my message and for you to
0: say that means a tremendous amount absolutely so since we started uh, on the instagram career if you like did you set out to build an audience the size of fifteen thousand plus you know i listened to your podcast with a Neil Shoney Mac, which was a few real hidden gems in there. But did you set out with a, a plan in place or was it purely just people were approaching you, you were you know, turning into incredible shape post-rugby kind of career and you started thinking, you know, rather than answering the same question 25 times, if I just put it out there, people can pick it up from there.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's another interesting question, Tommy, because for me, I don't know how far back you've managed to go in the archives because I've posted about 15 1600 times now on instagram uh, initially it was cam bros so the the reason that my page is called dot is it was cam underscore bros so it was both my brother and myself that started the instagram in january 2017 uh-huh. and both very passionate about fitness both in good shape for our for our age training hard very good knowledge and one of the things that arc does was the standard of information That was on Instagram at the time was extremely poor. Well, very mixed. And it still is. It still is, unfortunately. But we had, we followed a couple of sources that were really good. But like you say, we were getting asked a lot of questions and we decided that why don't we put our information out there? And there was never an aspiration to be a sponsored athlete or to grow a massive following. It was more of a creative outlet to share something that we cared about. And one of the, one of the things when people ask me now, how do I grow a personal brand or how do I grow uh, a big Instagram page? And that's always the term big Instagram page is a lot of it comes down to just being authentic and being you, but having something to bring to the party. So if you were just, if, if I decided to just be me, but I didn't have, something that was of interest to a large number of people, then inevitably the page wouldn't grow. But fitness is something that people are very interested in. So if I can bring my slant on fitness and my experience from f- from that to the party, and I do that consistently with good quality photographs, good quality captions, then inevitably there will be some growth. Now, don't get me wrong, maybe I got in at the right time. It appears based on that dreaded term, the Instagram algorithm that is harder now to grow than ever before. Yeah. However, I, maybe, maybe you've experienced that as well, but certainly in 2017, there was periods where I was getting, or we were getting, my brother and I were getting three, 400 fo- new followers a week. And it was just, we were just posting every day, something that interested us and something that we cared about that we thought other people might want to speak about. So it was basic stuff. Well, basic stuff for us, uh, how to track your macros, um, how much protein do you need to eat do you need to have protein straight after a workout what does a, what what does a good workout split look like what um what can, what type of cardio is better hit or less all these kind of frequently asked questions that you get on instagram we had before we even started the page we agreed that we wouldn't just do one or two posts and that would be us so we wrote out all the different ones we wanted to do. And it was the same for starting the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm off on one here, Toby. But it was, the, <laughs> it, was, it was the same for starting the podcast. When I started the podcast in March, I had 10 outlines and 10 guests agreed. And I'm sure you've been the same when, when you're coming into this project. Almost exactly the same, yeah. Because if you, if you were to start out with a brilliant first episode or a brilliant first Instagram post, and you did a couple and people are like, oh, this is quite good, and then you fall off, and you don't turn up for three or four weeks, people, are, people will forget about you, and rightfully so, because you haven't had enough of a sustained impact. Whereas nowadays, because I've posted and interacted so many times, if I don't post for three or four days, people are like, oh, they'll message me, and they'll say, oh, where was your Monday motivation post? Or where was your um, Training Tuesday post? Or where was your Food Friday post? And that, for me, is the measure of consistency.
0: Yeah, I I think consistency almost, you know, wins all. You know, you can have the best technique, the best hashtags, everything, but if you're not consistent with your message, um, as you say, if you drop off for a week or two they find someone else and and you're almost yesterday's news, and I think your consistency is, is almost second to none. And just in regard to, you know, you mentioned your podcast there. I initially found who you were through Chris Williamson's Modern Wisdom podcast when you had him okay. on as a first guest, I then obviously delved a little bit into you and switched over to Cambrough Conversations. My initial thought was, must be a personal trainer, you know, must have a fitness business. But there's a completely inherent other side to you. Are you self-taught, first of all, in the gym nutrition side of things? And then we can maybe perhaps look to delve into your career post-university. Of course,
1: so first of all, that's good that you came across from Chris's page. Chris has been a a long time person that I followed closely myself, and to get him on the podcast was fantastic because I'd shared modern wisdom so many times in my stories over the years. Him and I had had a lot of conversations just in the in direct messages. It, it all goes down in the DMs, as yeah. they say, and <laughs> slide right in. <and>, <laughs> exactly, and so we've always gotten really well. And he's asked my opinion on a couple of things that he had going on just as he does maybe a number of his kind of close followers and for him to come on the podcast was fantastic. So great that um, you came across from, from, from him being a guest online. In terms of my fitness education then, I mentioned that rugby was where I started the the lifting aspect of things and I guess for me We had initial strength and conditioning training from a coach, which was fantastic in terms of your technique for squats, bench, curls, presses, pull-ups, pull-downs, all the different movements you could think of. We were taught excellent form. Yeah. Where where it was lacking significantly was in program structure in terms of training your body across a multitude of range of motions, across a multitude of movements, training your body proportionally, proportionally because as young guys we wanted to train what we saw in the mirror which is biceps triceps and chest and shoulders meaning that I developed I mentioned earlier (laughs) a beach workout exactly that because we wanted to fill t-shirts so we could get more birds at school that was that was as simple as it was and that was the downfall and I mentioned that I was getting those shoulder injuries and the physio that I had was very good and this is not a bash at any at uh, all physios but some physios immediately the what they say to you is just stop training you need to rest it and that's all they say they just think because you rest something will get addressed yeah in contrast thankfully my physio recognized that i had significantly more muscle on my chest and if uh, the front of my shoulder so front deltoid versus my rear delt so with my rear deltoid the back of my shoulder and my upper and mid back so kind of middle traps upper back and, and my lats as well so straight away she said you need to scale back the pushing movements that you do and you need to up the pulling movements yeah and for me that was a kind of a nudge to say what you've been doing at the moment Colin is you're going in you're training hard but you don't really know what you're doing and I didn't I was getting quite strong but I was getting strong maybe all the wrong places oh not all the wrong places but not in every place I needed to yeah and This was when I discovered Fitness YouTube. And ultimately, the answer to your question is, yes, I'm mostly self-taught based on what I found online. Now, there's a danger to that because there's so many sources out there that are quick fixes. And I was fortunate in some ways to stumble upon good sources. So at the time, some of those were uh, a gentleman called Omar Aesov, who was a powerlifter, and he was very informative about how to train your body. I followed some kind of fairly bodybuilding-style trainers, so a, a guy called Chris Jones, who was on a channel called Physiques of Greatness, Christian Guzman, who's extremely famous nowadays, but at the time was an up-and-coming YouTuber. He's a bit more lifestyle now and about his business, but at the time, he was sharing the workouts he was doing, and these guys were also speaking about this unbelievable topic, which I'd never even heard of before, but macros and calories <laughs> and at the time, as a young guy, I was just eating everything I could. I knew protein was important, and I knew I had to have loads of it, or that's what I thought—loads and loads of it. Sometimes 400 grams of dry chicken breast out of Asda, which was not pleasant, but that's what I was—that's what I thought I needed to do.
0: I, I, I've been there, and I've been there with gallons of milk and egg whites, and you know, Rocky Balboa-style thinking—you know—that you're going to be the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger by tomorrow if you just keep downing these eggs. <laughs>
1: That's exactly it, Tommy, because the education piece is super important. So I guess, yes, I was self-educated largely through online resources. So this would have been circa 2012 late 2012, early 2013 through 2014 towards the latter years of my university career where I was moved away from rugby, stopped playing altogether, was focused on how would I train more optimally and copying some of the stuff these guys were doing. Don't get me wrong, I stumbled across these brilliant sources, but there was also some sort of pretty sketchy stuff out there as well. So Mike Chang's Six-Pack Shortcuts was one of the most famous ones. He was this um, American gentleman of kind of Asian-Chinese origin, and he had this incredible, incredible six-pack. Like it would be on the cover of magazines, um, Men's Health and stuff like that. But he was selling six-pack shortcuts, and it was plans that – just were not, there's no science to them at all. It was just get ripped quick kind of idea.
0: 5,000 sit-ups and then hope for the best.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you charge you $59.99 for the privilege. So it's <laughs> it, there, was lots of, there was lots of junk in there as well, but luckily I found these good YouTube sources that educated me on calories, how to structure my training, push-pull legs being the kind of fundamental muscle group split that I ended up going down for, for, for a very, very long time. And yeah, so overall, massively um, self taught in,
0: in, in, on the whole. Brilliant, brilliant. So that's all part of what's your, essentially your lifestyle. If we delve a little bit into what actually your career is, um, I, I've done a little bit of digging, uh, a little bit of homework. I know quite often I'll listen to podcasts and it's about entrepreneurial backgrounds, you know, how they left the, the corporate career to, to start a business. Sometimes it wins, sometimes it fails. I'm a little bit like you you know I have a a career and I'm employed and I know that you almost feel the same that you can almost do more within a career rather than pulling out of it and maybe starting a fitness business or something similar so if you can tell us a little bit about what happened you know once you came out of kind of university you started a career in insurance did you go straight into insurance from there? Yeah I did so
1: while I was at university, I worked for a business called Ensley Insurance, which is a student specialist insurance provider, and I worked in their fresher sales team from pretty much every September, October that I was at university. So 2011, 2012, 2013, and I graduated 2014, and during that time, I did... Uh, gadget insurance, contents insurance, sales, face-to-face with students. So that was my first experience of sales. And it was also my first experience of insurance, albeit a a limited scope product, but you had to learn about the principles of it and how it worked. Yes. And Ensley kept tracking me throughout my time at university. They they knew I was, so I, I studied politics at university, so absolutely nothing to do with insurance. However, you say I mean I studied politics but 33% of the people that do my course at University of Glasgow actually go into a form of politics so the vast majority of people that study my degree do not try and be the first minister or the prime minister or an MP and of those 33% I think a lot of them go into things like civil service council jobs and so it's not direct representative politics so it's not a it's not a course like dentistry or medicine or um, engineering or a wall where you have a set career path for you. It's very much a case of you end up where you end up in terms of you develop some skills from presentations and speaking and taking vast amounts of information and distilling it down into an argument, which was really valuable for me in, in, in all aspects. But like I say, they kept track of me and despite the fact that in the politics degree, they were very keen for me to join as an account executive and it was quite rare for them to take a direct graduate, but because I'd had those three years of experience with them and they knew what I was all about, they were willing to give me a shot and were willing to give me the support to to grow because they're primarily uh, an English-based company in Cheltenham. However, they had an account management team or account executive team across the UK. And I would, by the time I'd done an initial um, three month fixed term contract with them kind of covering a vacancy in Manchester and Liverpool and Leeds, sorry. I was given this, uh, the job for Scotland, um, which was which which was great. And I, I, it, the role was primarily a relationship management and sales role with universities, student unions and accommodation providers. And I won't go into the nitty gritty of the insurance too much, but we were the middleman between or the broker between the the company, so the university or the or the letting agency, the accommodation provider, ourselves, and then the insurer who paid the claims out if students got broken into or there was a fire or a flood or something happened basically. Yeah, it makes sense. So in short, I worked for Ensley for four and a half years and it was a fantastic first role for me. And during the time that I was there, Ensley grew and expanded my role grew and expanded with it. And I got to look after more income. I got to look after more high profile accounts, more high profile universities. I got to take part in tender processes. I got to do new business for the first time. A couple of years in, we started doing new business. So I was prospecting and cold calling letting agents and uh, writing sales emails on LinkedIn or, um, or, 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 or emails. I was going to meetings. I was pitching for business. It was an amazing learning curve and I was allowed to just because I was fairly doing fairly well I was allowed to just run run with it and 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 get better as I went and by the time I'd been there for four four and a half years I was ready to to make a change into 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 something where I could look after more income and we can talk a little bit of the figures by the time I left Ensley, I was looking after a, a book of business, so a, a, a group of accounts that were paying the company about a million pounds. Now, a lot of that would go to the insurer. Yeah. And Ensley's commission earnings would be about a, a quarter of a million to 300K. And I'd grown that from maybe 100K when I'd taken it over a couple of years before that. So I'd, I'd done very well, Tommy, and I was very pleased. But you know yourself, sometimes you
0: want to take that next step in your career. Yeah, I, I think as well, I think... One, it's a real baptism of fire, you know, to go from, you know, insuring mobile phone policies, you know, for, for £10 a month to, to looking after a revenue of a million pounds. It's a real baptism of fire at a young age. But a great deal of responsibility must have been placed on your shoulders and a great deal of trust for everything that you were doing for them. But, I mean, was something just eating away at you that, that you felt that you wanted more, that you could give more?
1: I think that's a really good way to put it. Ultimately... I've always believed that I've got a lot of potential and probably one of my biggest fears, and I've I've spoken about this on Instagram before, I've been quite open about it. One of my biggest fears is unfulfilled potential. And I'm aware that I will have limitations and I'm aware that I will have things that I'm not brilliant at, but in the areas that I can excel and I can provide value and I can do well for myself and for maybe a, a business that I work for, I want to do it to the absolute maximum. And if I, I was within this quite small niche of student accommodation insurance and I was becoming a big fish in a small pond and ultimately you were saying that I have this nagging feeling I did I had this nagging feeling that in three years time I want to be looking after business or I want to be signing business that pays us much more than this and I couldn't see where I could do that in this sector that I was in so that led to me to me making the move and I, I think I think you'll listened to the solo podcast tell me where I spoke about this and do you want me to go into detail about what happened briefly over that period
0: yes please I've listened to it twice and what I took from it and hopefully the listeners can take from is it is you know to, to make it such a bold move from a career that essentially you're well looked after to throw your hat in the ring and say I want more I can give more I need more you know there's something you can await me that a that niggle that just won't go away to then what happens to face the adversity, to the phone calls to your family, to then you know coming out of the other side. Yeah, we'll, we'll do, we'll do a fast recap version for the
1: for the benefit of your listeners. I'm I'm glad you have listened to it twice, Tommy. It's <laughs> one of the most popular. It's one of the most popular episodes I've done because I think a lot of people can relate to the to the feeling that you have when you make a big or something something comes out the balloon happens to you. So it, in short. I, I made a move from Ensley to an insurer who was in the commercial space, which basically means for the listeners that aren't familiar with the technical insurance terms, a general insurance. So basically any business at all that is of a reasonable size, maybe turnover of three to 10 million pounds would potentially be covered by this insurer. So straight away, I was opening myself up from maybe three hundred potential clients that I was looking after in, in the north of the UK with my current role to being in a space where we could ensure most most semi or sorry most SME businesses in Scotland and the revenue attached to that was 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 significant. Now I made this move through a recruiter. The role that I moved into was a business development um, manager and I would I would be looking after a book of brokers. So I'd be moving from the middleman to being the person that was paying the claims, but ultimately it was still a sales role because I needed brokers to use us to place the risk, which is, it's neither here nor there because the real crux of the story is I was in the door eight weeks and everything was going really well. I passed all the training and been given a lot of support. I was getting a lot of technical support because ultimately I was moving from a fairly basic area of insurance to one that covered every risk you think of. So property business interruption, liabilities for the, for public employees, uh, professional indemnity directors and officers. So all these, all these names that I just heard for the first time and anyone that isn't in the insurance industry, will be thinking, Oh, I maybe pay for that for my business, but I'm not too sure about that. And I was learning a lot. However, it would have been the 14th of May last year, so 2019, where we were called into a director's meeting. There was 15 of us that sat in the, in the Scotland office and the directors both, well, one of them broke down in tears and said they'd been at a shareholder meeting in London yesterday and that everyone, unfortunately, would be being made redundant. And well, they said we'd be in consultation because uh, the company had been bought by an American hedge fund and they'd restructure um the, the UK business effectively. Now they would never have been allowed to recruit me if that had been on the horizon. So it came as a shock to everyone in the room, from the from the director who was earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a year all the way through to myself who'd come in um as 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 a business development manager um on on, on my salary. And it was an incredibly hard thing to take. However and I'm sure if, if, if the listeners want to get more in-depth in this story, they can, they can jump across to the podcast. It, it all comes down to how you deal with what happens to you rather than allowing what is going on around you to dictate. Now, there's a lot of middle-aged, professional, highly respected, successful people around me who were completely broken down by this news because they have have been at the company a little bit longer than me. They've been more invested in it, so they had a personal attachment to it.
0: Yeah.
1: as well as all these thoughts and fears in their head about their mortgage, their kids, their family. Now, don't get me wrong, I just bought my first property in the January of that year. And so I was thinking, oh God, that's, that's not good. I'm going to have to find however many hundred pounds a month if I'm, if I'm not going to be working for a period. But I came out of the meeting. Um, they actually gave us the company credit cards and sent us to all bar one in, the, in Glasgow city center. And as some of my colleagues were jumping into the news agents and many, pretty much none of them smoked, but they were all buying cigarettes. So I think they must have been former smokers in a previous life. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, Tommy, back to a bad habit when, when, when they were under pressure. And I took the opportunity, firstly, to phone the recruiter that placed me at that insurer to say, you're going to hear some bad news coming out of my office. The entire UK operation of, and we'll blank out the insurer name, yeah, has been made redundant. Done. <laughs> um, has, has, has been made redundant can you, can you start to get my CV back out there and she said yep no problem at all there was a number of different businesses that I'd spoken to before I chose this one so I knew that I would potentially have options or at least some level of interest in me but Equally, I've said no to these businesses pretty much in order to go to this one, so it's a difficult conversation to restart.
0: Yeah. So, what what drove you to make that phone call? Colin, as you come out to, to bad news, you know, some people are in tears. They're they're worried about putting food on the table. That they're worried about their kids, their mortgages. You know, you're just kind of into property yourself. You know, four or five months before that, but what was your thought process? You know, that's a really positive phone call to make to say this has happened you know, let's get back in the game, rather than maybe dwelling on it, feeling sorry for yourself. What do you think drove you to pick up the phone and make that call? In in short,
1: the only thing that I knew I could do to move my situation further towards where I wanted to be was to take some form of positive action. And that was the only form of positive action I could think of at that point. And as it it was, it was the best form of positive action because ultimately it got my name back out there it made me feel like i'd done something which i had yeah. and it gave me the reassurance that i i don't like to take things lying down um now there's there's positive elements to that and there's negative elements to that but from this situation it definitely gave me the opportunity to start to reassure myself that it's going to be okay i'm going to get another interview i'm going to get another job offer I will be an asset to whichever company I can speak to. And that's ultimately, you mentioned the the conversation I had with my parents. I sent a quick text after I'd spoken to the recruiter to basically just explain to them that there's there's been some bad news. It's come out of the blue. The business that I'm working for and I moved to, to reassure you, was an, an £80 million turnover business, very well respected in the Scottish insurance market. However the American company that owns us or has bought a leading share in us has decided to make a surplus of requirements, but don't worry. I'm going to take steps. I know that I'm an asset and I'll be valuable to whatever business. And that was how I ended the the text to my, my, my mom, my dad, my brother. And and at the time, my girlfriend to, to reassure them that although this is happening to me, I'm, I'm still in control and that I can hopefully move forward in the best possible way by maintaining control rather than going into the the awful emotions and don't get me wrong there was maybe a couple of days afterwards I was still digesting the news and I was still I would be mildly upset but I've definitely been more emotional over over, over other much lesser things previous in my life where I maybe didn't have as strong a mindset as I do now.
0: What a fantastic mindset I think to you know really grab the bull by the horns and um, you know to use an old cliche to say you know this has happened let's really do what we can Right here, right now. Never mind going to new agents for cigarettes. No, never mind. I mean, I hope you put a little good, little bit on that company credit card. To be fair, <laughs> but but before all of that, you know, really just switching and zoning in to, to move forward. I think is a fantastic takeaway.
1: Yeah, it was like I say, it was it was all I could do at the time to maintain control and to move things forward, and. By doing that, that probably meant that I was, I was much less likely to break down into tears because I, I was focused on the next action, the next positive step that I could take rather than wallowing in that horrible feeling that you had inside your gut about, yes. about, about about what you've just heard. Whereas maybe some of my colleagues at the time who were a bit more shaken by it would have, if they'd taken a little bit of time to, di- maybe not to digest it, but to just do something straight away, do something positive straight away so that night, I, I mean, you, you say I put money in the company credit card. The only thing I think of is I'm going to go to the gym tonight and um, and that was it. Get my frustration out. And then when I got home from the gym, I added the new um, experience to my CV that I had at that insurer and what my role was. And then I sent that to the recruiter because that was the, the step that she asked me to take. She said, in order to get you back out there, just put the eight weeks in the CV, what you did, what happened and go. And it was, it was public knowledge in the Glasgow insurance market or the Scotland insurance market because it was a big insurer and it was very unexpected considering that they'd been
0: trading with them for however many years, it very was, successfully. billion million pound turnovers not to be sniffed at and the Americans maybe just you know, didn't fancy it, didn't fancy the work
1: yeah that, that, that that'll be it. it'll be It'll be an overhead thing, and there are companies that buy things in asset strip. you just have to look at things like Sports Direct and Mike Ashley and um House of Fraser, all these kind of things where people buy businesses and they strip the assets out and it doesn 't matter whether it was profitable previously but I, I guess to to bring an end to that uh, chapter in my story, tommy, I know the the podcast is chapter related, so we'll go with that theme we're on, yeah. um, <laughs> we're on brand so to to bring an end to that long story short, I ended up with three different conversations with three different insurance brokers. So again, I moved from the student insurance broker to an insurer. And this time from the insurer, I ended up back as the middleman in the insur- in the broker space, which excited me a lot more because I like speaking to clients and customers that do lots of different things rather than just insurance people. I like speaking to retailers and manufacturers or construction businesses rather than speaking to the broker who's speaking to them
0: yeah but
1: but ultimately had three different conversations on the go I felt wanted and desired however that was never a guarantee that I would end up with um a, an offer from one of these the the, the main one I pursued and the one that I ended up with initially uh, my brother and he he'll never he'll never let me love this down he works for the broker that I'm now at And he mentioned to his head of office when he was having a one-to-one with her that, oh, you've heard about Aspen. She said, oh yeah, terrible news. She knew the directors there very well just through working with them over the years. And my brother Ian mentioned he was, oh, well, my brother's actually just moved there and he works in business development. And at the time, she'd been talking about wanting more hungry, uh, up for it sales guys. And hopefully, throughout the podcast you'll have heard that that's me so absolutely he said, they call the boxes thanks Tommy so she, he said right okay let him he, I'll give him your number he'll give you a call have a coffee with him so as it was I, I called her out the blue obviously I had a good bit of chat to her on the phone and she just said yeah I'll meet you for a coffee we met her for a coffee and she told me that one she liked me straight away we got on very well um, she could see that I would add to her, to her office and to Marsh Um, but ultimately she didn't have space for me at that point in the in in her budget to have her have me within the office but she could arrange for me to maybe look at whether I could do a split role over Manchester Birmingham a few days a week and then some in Scotland Uh and at that stage I just had to be open to every opportunity and I wanted to move to the biggest and the best ideally so I humored it and the next day I got an email from her secretary. So I knew I was, I was, I was in, with the, uh, in with the big dogs because I was getting emails from secretaries and PAs um, said that um, our head of office has arranged a meeting for you with the managing director for sales for the UK. And he'll meet you next Tuesday at, uh, at, at Brown's for a coffee. And obviously at that point I was like, right, okay, wow. I'm, I'm meeting like the man for yeah. what I want to do for the biggest insurance broker in the world for the UK's operations. Brilliant. And although obviously that would maybe intimidate you a little bit, I had nothing to lose because if I I don't get to meet him, then I don't get to progress this opportunity. And equally, when I met him, he knew everything about my CV. He'd been on my LinkedIn. I'd been on his as well, don't get me wrong. And he was asking me really excellent questions. And sometimes when you meet people at that level, you see why they're at that level because he was a brilliant people person you could see why he was such a good salesperson because he was selling me him and the company yeah and he was willing to bring out the best in me whereas I've been interviewed by and during this process I actually got interviewed by another insurance broker who I was not enamored about moving to because they they made the interview about trying to trip you up and ask you daft questions and my impression of them was just so much poorer than than the impression I had from the 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 MD of sales for for the UK and ultimately by the end of that meeting he said what your salary demands basically because I've got budget and I'll assign it to Glasgow because I want you to work there you wouldn't have to be based in Birmingham or Manchester for a couple of days a week I like you I want Scotland to continue to grow and I think you can be a big part of that and so there was a huge amount of faith placed in me and he didn't play hardball he didn't want to mess me about on numbers, he just wanted me to come in and contribute straight away and it gave me that reassurance that my mindset about being an asset and being able to contribute was completely correct and ultimately there was a lot of work that went on through those uh, four years with Ensley in order to be in that position, Tommy, but we got there.
0: Yeah, I think that's fantastic, you know, and I think, you know, being the MD of sales for, for such a, a huge organisation, the man management, you know, if you could liken it to someone like Alex Ferguson, you know, trying to sign the, the best striker in Europe. He'll go to their house, he'll he'll speak to their kids, he'll organise schools and houses and do everything they can to get that one person because he realize what they're going to do for the team. And it sounds very similar, you know, especially him having done his homework on you, your background at Ensley and everything else, to say, you know, he's going to be an asset to our business. So, you know, let's not mess him around. It doesn't have to be Birmingham, Manchester. You know, he wants to be in Glasgow. This is his package, this is what he demands. Let's just give him what he wants and get him in the door.
1: Yeah, it was an amazing feeling to feel valued like that. And obviously I wouldn't compare myself to the star striker because what I came on, I came in, albeit on a, on, a, on a good package, but I came in as a, and they actually had a, a program called the Sales Academy, which they bring in probably similar to pretty much exactly my bracket, kind of four or five years out of university or not graduates at all, but just four or five years in a, in a career in business development And they bring you in and they want you to sell their way in the corporate space. And it was a super exciting thing because one of my reasons that I never even looked at joining this particular company that I'm at now and I ended up at the insurer that went into, that made us redundant, was because I wasn't aware of the support and the offering that I would get moving to this bigger company. I just thought... or they wouldn't be interested in me quite yet. But it turns out they they, they were straight away and they, they had a support network for me to go there, which I think is hugely important when people choose careers because as it was, I had a second offer from another broker who actually offered me an extra, I think, three grand a year. But in the grand scheme of things, it would have been a really silly move because that broker would never have provided me with the level of training, support and development that I've got in the last year that I've been with my, my, my current employer and £3,000 in the grand scheme of a 40-year career is, 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 is absolutely nothing.
0: Yeah, makes perfect sense. So we're now into 2020, we're, we're coming out of, of, of coronavirus slash COVID lockdown. I, I've listened to your podcast every episode bar one, I'm still on the pole dancer halfway through. <laughs> What, what I wanted to know, is I know, I think it was on the, po- the podcast with either your friend from Slaters, I think, or maybe it was Wallace Wilson. I can't quite remember. But you would said that it had been in the pipeline for quite a long time and you continued to put it off. So what made you eventually, you know, take the step and just bite the bullet to say, you know, I'm going to get it out there. And then further to that, there's been quite a lot of you know, really good, informative guests. Are those all just from your personal network in Glasgow? Or how do you go about actually getting them onto the podcast? Selfishly for me.
1: Yeah, no problem, Tommy. I, I think, first of all, you've mentioned the variety of guests and you've dropped in a, a pole dancer, Wallace Wilson from Love <laughs> Island, um Johnny Rose, head of marketing for Slaters, uh, Menswear. Yeah, I've been very very keen to have a wide variety of guests to ensure that it didn't just become a fitness trainer podcast because we'll get on to what my network looks like. But ultimately my Instagram, the majority of people that I follow and network with on there are in the fitness space. Yes, Uh, Probably about 75%. But importantly, that other 25% do a lot of very, very varied stuff and very interesting stuff. So uh, To address the first part of your question, I procrastinated on the podcast and launching it from probably March 2020 because I was a guest on four different podcasts in the first three months of 2019. Sorry, 2019, I'll take that back. First three months, 2019, I was a guest on four different podcasts. And then throughout the rest of that year, I was on another three as well. And after each one, because I was sharing it on my page and people were listening to it. People were saying, oh, you were really good on that. I enjoyed you. Like, have you ever thought about having a second platform? And the answer quite simply was yes. I had thought about having a second platform. And I knew that of the other options available, things like Twitter, YouTube, um, podcast, TikTok, all these different uh, platforms, podcasting was the one that most suited my skill set in terms of speaking presenting and talking and i also knew that from a maintenance perspective it wasn't as heavy as editing and filming youtube videos and vlogs and things like that yeah and I, i i think the main reason i procrastinated on it was wanting it to be perfect and being worried that if i started i wouldn't be able to keep it up and say I put out three episodes and we spoke about consistency right at the start of the episode where if I started and I didn't continue, I'd be really disappointed in myself. So for me to have dragged my heels for quite a while, I actually bought some of the equipment. I bought the mic that I'm speaking on to you tonight. Yeah. I I upgraded my laptop. I, I downloaded the software. I downloaded Zoom. I got an anchor account. I I was ready to go. I wrote 10 episode outlines in July, mid July, 2019, I spoke to people about being a guest on it in October 2019 and yet I still didn't do it and (laughs) I guess one of the main reasons was in March this year when we were due to go into lockdown I thought to myself you know what a good distraction and a good way for me to get the ball rolling because I think I'm a big fan of momentum if I start now I won't stop so what I did is it started, during March, I bit the bullet and I recorded five podcasts. The fifth of those was with Chris Williamson, which I used as my launch episode. Yeah. So I knew that having that big launch, which which got you, got you to be a listener, Tommy, absolutely, meant that I still had four in the pipeline after it, and I was able to keep going. So that that's 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 what that's what got me started and stopped me procrastinating lockdown really, and. I knew that once I started, I wouldn't stop as long as I started in the right way, which
0: I thankfully think I did. Brilliant. And just regarding, we were going to go and tell a little bit about your network of of the 25%, you know, who have got the head of marketing at Slater's Menswear. Are those just because you've been out and about in Glasgow, are those people that that you've tracked and almost chased down? How do you get people of, of that caliber, you know, to talk to you?
1: it's it's a mixture of things so some of those some of the guests that have been on that aren't in the fitness space have been people that i was already connected with so i sort of knew through uh, maybe maybe just through social media or maybe i've listened to them on a podcast before and i've messaged them to say i enjoyed listening to you on that um can i can i have you on mine um or i've been following them for a little bit and just passively thinking in the background i'd like a chat with you you're an interesting character I know what I'd want to speak to you about. And in other ones, uh, there's been a couple that have been upcoming authors. So example off the top of my head is Ben Williams, the Commando Mindset. Yeah. So he's a former Royal Marine. I just saw that his book was coming out on Amazon. And from a selfish perspective for him, he will want to promote that book. And from my perspective, he had some interesting posts on LinkedIn when I looked at him don't get me wrong, there's been authors that have got books coming out and I've looked at the social media and I've thought, you're not for me, we wouldn't get on. I, I, yeah. I don't think you've got anything of value to say. Because you can't read their book until it's out. So it's it, it, it's, it's hard to judge, but uh, I went digging for for a few different authors like that. So that's one way to source guests. And then the last way in, in, in recent weeks as well has just been asking previous guests who they're networked with, who they think might be a, a, a good guest as well. So most recently, Aaron Knightley, who was speaking about high net worth investors and some of the principles that we can be aware of when it comes to money management. He is a good friend of Justin Wilkins, who was on episode three, who's a property investor. So, networking off the back of my existing network, I suppose. Yeah, all just
0: connecting the dots.
1: Yeah, that's it. And, and, and you know what it's like when you. When and, and you will get to know this as, as your episodes start to come out if people enjoy being on, on yours and you ask them for a recommendation they'll take that as a, as a compliment and, and likewise I'll be happy to introduce you to, to, to people and if they're comfortable coming on your podcast then, then, then fantastic
0: Brilliant, fantastic and I'm conscious of your time I think we've been going nearly an hour <laughs> and I think it's quite a story and I can't wait to get it out once I get to grips with all this editing and, and technology is not my strong point, but I'm a great believer in you. Rather than procrastinating and worrying about the perfect mic, I just thought, let's talk to people, let's get it out there. And, and much like you have said to me uh, when I reached out on Instagram, is if just one person can take something from listening, uh, then I think we will both done our jobs.
1: Yeah, exactly, Tommy. That's it's such a A good feeling where you get a message off the back of something that you said, and if it helps just one person, then it's a fantastic thing to do. And ultimately, like you say, you could procrastinate on this and think about how to do the perfect podcast. And you and I will have stumbled over our words at times tonight. We'll have um, we'll 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 not been as succinct as we might have been, but we'll have covered lots of stuff that's hopefully valuable to to to, to people throughout the course of it. And yeah, delighted to 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 be known and been a guest for you, Tommy. And I wish you all the best with this project.
0: Thanks Colin and just finally before, before we switch off it and I press the close button where can people find more about you? I'll link your podcast in the show notes but if anyone wants to get in touch, if anyone wants to see your content where's best to find that? Yeah, best place for me is is
1: primarily Instagram so my handle is at col.cambrough and I'm also on LinkedIn at Colin T. Campbell so um, if you're not a, an Instagram, social media in person, then please get me on there. And Tommy's going to link my podcast, which is probably
0: my main focus at the moment, alongside my Instagram when it comes to, to content creation. Fantastic. I'm going to finish off tomorrow on my 5 a.m. morning walk, The Pole Dancer. And for anyone that's listening, <laughs> there's a lot, lot more to it than dance dancing on a pole.
1: Agreed, agreed, Tommy. I'll look forward to your feedback on
0: that one. But yeah, <laughs>
1: another, another very varied guest.
0: Right, Colin, thank you very much for your time. I won't take up any more of it and I'll get everything linked in the show notes and we'll get this released very, very soon.
1: Absolute pleasure, Tommy. I'll speak to you very soon. Bye now.
0: Cheers, Colin. Thank you.